get your ducks in a row before you terminate them. So you've got your memo to file for termination notice or whatever you call it that has all the reasons you fired them and make sure they're good ones. Really well thought out, really well prepared. Then when you meet with the employee, you can walk them through all that. Um, and in fact, you ought to say we're terminating you for cause under our policies, or we're terminating you for misconduct or whatever the reasons might be. You'll cover them. You haven't got to get into nauseating detail, but you cover them. I do like the memo to file to have nauseating detail. Mm -hmm. So if they come back and sue you, you've got it all right there in the record. But in reality, when you end it with an employee like that, they're then going to file for unemployment comp every time. And you got to go one of two ways and you got to be committed to it. Either you let them have the unemployment comp or you fight it and you win. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Dealing with government regulations and taxes can be frustrating for employers. And among the more frustrating government programs for many employers is the unemployment compensation insurance system. Poorly understood by employees and many employers, this system can often seem unpredictable and even capricious. But managed poorly, it can lead to litigation, costing employers much more than the cost of unemployment benefits awarded to an employee. Joining me today to discuss the unemployment insurance system and how employers can mitigate the risk of litigation is Brad Howard. Brad is a litigator, director, and shareholder with the Texas-based law firm Brown and Fortunato, where he counsels companies across the country on business and contract issues, employee situations, including terminations, and risk mitigation strategies. Brad is board certified in labor and employment law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization, and Brad and I are in a unique club. We both married patient women well above our station. Welcome to Good Morning <laughs> HR, Brad. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm just living the dream. <laughs> I was out there in uh, Amarillo with you last week uh, for the Panhandle uh, HR Association, and uh, it was a uh, they were they were very nice to me. So it was you, you got your you got our biggest crowd all year as as you always do. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it was fun to be out there. So so let's start with an overview of what the unemployment compensation system is supposed to accomplish? What's what's the purpose of it? Uh, and maybe if you've got some opinions about how well it does it. Sure, sure. So, and thank you for having me. I appreciate the chance to talk about unemployment comp, which does not on its surface sound terribly interesting, but it's very important for employers to get it, to get it right. Uh, and I've seen over the years a number of employers who don't, who don't get it right. So unemployment comp in Texas is really like pretty much every state. We have a law firm that practices around the country. I handle employment matters all around the country, and the laws are very similar. Here's what unemployment comp is designed to do. It's supposed to be a bridge between an employee leaving your, your workplace and getting another job. It's not designed to let them live a life of opulence or luxury. They receive some wage uh, for a few weeks to bridge them till they get a different job. So in theory, it makes a lot of sense uh, for society, for employers. In reality, a lot of employers, I don't think take a very thoughtful approach to unemployment compensation, and it creates a lot of problems for them that are you know, very much unintended. 
Yeah. So what are some of those? What, I mean, yeah, I, you're on the, some of the same lists that I'm on and I see a lot of people complaining about circumstances where, you know, they were unhappy with the outcome of hearings and things like that. What, what causes, what are the sources of most of the grief that employers have with the uh, unemployment uh, system? Sure. Sure. There, there are a couple of them. Uh, I'll lead with number two, just briefly, but I'm going to focus a little bit more on number one for a minute. So number two is, that employers mismanage the process. They don't think about the fact that this is all evidence that goes into a file. It's all recorded. It's all logged away. It's all subject to informational requests and FOIA requests. Like the old phrase, you know, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, that's unemployment comp. And a lot of employers don't give that a thought. And we'll spend more time talking about that. Going back to the, to the first issue with unemployment comp, most employers don't think about what they're doing when they decide to have a knee-jerk reaction to oppose unemployment comp. So somebody doesn't work out, they get fired or they quit or they quit because they're about to get fired and they haul off and file for unemployment comp. And a lot of employers have a knee-jerk reaction of, we're immediately going to oppose that, but they don't oppose it very well and then they lose. They lose and, they, and they're like, well, how do we, how do we lose? I mean, that employee wasn't any good. Why we, we had every right to terminate or it's a, you know, Texas, for example, is a right to work state. We were within our rights. Why are we paying unemployment comp? And the reality, Mike, is a lot of employers don't even think about what it is you've got to do to win unemployment comp. And it's not just Texas, it's everywhere. You know, you've got to prove that the employee conducted some, engaged in some misconduct. Because the employee has to be unemployed through no fault of their own. Is that, is that the, mm -hmm. the standard still in Texas? It's been yeah, 25 yeah. or 30 yeah. years since I had to help a healthcare no, system really dig into that, but yeah. You, you've got it. So, you know, an, an employer can terminate an employee for any reason or no reason at all, as long as it's not discriminatory. But if you're going to pay, if you're, if they choose to appeal and seek unemployment, unemployment comp, you're going to be required to pay that unless you can prove the reason you fired them was actual misconduct. And that's where a lot of employers don't really put a lot of thought into it. They just oppose the unemployment comp. They commit some resources to opposing it. They're not really thinking it through because in a lot of cases, you know, when somebody leaves your employment and maybe the circumstances aren't so good, the last thing on your mind is I want to give them some money <laughs> on, on the way out the door. You know, no, no employer probably wants to do that. But the reality is if you if you work with them and maybe agree to unemployment comp, and there are certain ways you can do that to protect your organization, then they don't go see a lawyer to figure out what rights they have against you. They don't go to the EEOC to see if you discriminated. They have enough money in their account for the unemployment comp period to at least pay their bills, if nothing else, and they go look for another job. And then once they get a job, they're no longer your problem. Are there situations where an employee can quit and still collect unemployment comp? There, there are a lot of those. Uh, in fact, a lot of employers are quick to, to, to meet with somebody and say, hey, do you want to sign here and resign or I can, I can fire you? Yeah. <laughs> and as, you know, as the lawyer, they don't tell me they do that till after they've already done it. <laughs> um, because, because that the, the problem there is that if, if I say, hey, Mike, we're about to terminate you because you can't get your job done. But if you choose to resign, then that would be okay with us. 
well, the only reason you resigned at, you know, 4.55 on Friday afternoon <laughs> was because I was going to fire you at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. So if you go seek unemployment compensation benefits, the Workforce Commission in Texas and really pretty much in every state, they're going to give you unemployment comp benefits because you didn't really resign. You just didn't want to get fired. Yeah. And I, you know, resignation and in lieu of termination, um, you know, and I, and I know there are probably valid reasons to do that at some point, but I, I'm always trying to talk clients out of that. Let's just be honest and let's put everything in black and white about the real reasons. Cause you never know when it's going to come back and you're going to have to, you know, defend that decision. Bingo. You're, well, you're right about that. And the reality is that if you're going to let somebody resign because you want them, you want them to get a job, you want them to save face. They weren't a good fit for your organization. And probably you were going to fire them because they can't really get the job done. In a lot of cases like that, I'll give advice to an employer that, why don't you not oppose the unemployment comp? Let them go ahead and go get it. And you can document internally why you ended the employment. If they ever sue you later on, you've got a memo dated the day before you mm-hmm. fired them, right? That says, these are all the reasons we're firing them. But then when you meet with them, you say it's not working out. There are a lot of reasons I could go through them all, but I think you need to go ahead and get another position. But we're not going to oppose your unemployment comp if you want to want to file for that. And you're you're allowing your your premiums will go up a little bit over time, but you're allowing somebody to, to save face and get a job somewhere else. You're not paying legal fees for maybe one of these unemployment comp hearings. You're probably not going to be at the EEOC defending your actions. You probably won't won't be a defendant in a lawsuit. Are there any provisions in a severance agreement or anything like that that you can uh, include to uh, protect yourself, you know, either to mitigate their unemployment, their, their ability to get unemployment or just to protect yourself down the line from, you know, any future claims around unemployment? Bingo. And that, that's that, I, my notes here. I said severance as a, as a tip. I wanted to, to talk about that because um, one part of, an employer thoughtfully responding to a bad situation. We've all had them where you hired somebody, they look great in the interview, they're, you know, killing it for the first six months, nine months, and then it just starts to go kind of south. And it's just not a good, it's not a good fit, right? Right. And, you know, a lot of employers say, I'm going to give you the opportunity to go do something that you'll be happy doing, but it's 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 a termination, right? So what a lot of employers don't do is break up nicely. And I think it's important to break up nicely. Right. So uh, because if you don't want to spend 100000 or more on legal fees to fight a lawsuit, uh, breaking up nicely is a good investment of time and a little bit of money. And a lot of times it involves a, a severance agreement. It might it might look something like this. You you meet with the employee Friday afternoon because it's always you know late Friday afternoon because you don't want them to have a tirade at your workplace on Monday at 9. And... You, you terminate them, but in the meeting you say, if you want to give some severance, we've given some thought to this, and because you've been here for two years or three years or whatever, we're going to, we have a severance program. We're going to roll out and provide you, first thing next week, a proposed severance agreement. It's a separation agreement, and in a nutshell, what that is is we're going to pay you some money we don't have to pay you, and you're going to sign an agreement you don't have to sign if you agree to it, and you'll be waiving your claims against us. We don't think you have any, but we still mm-hmm. would like to end things well with you. We'll provide you four weeks pay in return for this agreement. And then on the unemployment comp part, Mike, you got that perfect. You usually build in a provision in that agreement that says, hey, for the four weeks that we're paying you the severance, 
you agree not to, to file for unemployment comp. And then if you do file after four weeks, we agree not to contest your unemployment comp. The reason I like that is for those four weeks, that individual oftentimes will sign the agreement and they will not file for unemployment comp. They'll start looking for a job. They may get a job in those four weeks and they're no longer your problem. What about the situations where, I mean, we're looking at this employee and it just, it's, it's willful conduct. We've got to get rid of this guy. He's, you know, he's violating company policy or flat stealing from us or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, wore a Texas tech, uh, you know, emblem on his, on his lapel, anything that would, you know, get somebody fired for cause and you're going to let them go. In those circumstances, especially if you know it's a contentious employee, uh, you know, what are the considerations there about whether you should or shouldn't uh, oppose their unemployment comp at that point? That, that, those are great questions. So, um, and, and, and not an uncommon situation for every seven or eight people you might terminate in your company over the course of a couple or three years or whatever, you're going to have one bad apple ever so often that like just they really violated company policy. They, they did everything the wrong way and maybe they were very ugly about it and you want them out of your workforce. Mm-hmm. That's not even a situation where they just didn't do the job so well. They were a cancer in the organization. Right. They were a problem or at a minimum, they really violated your, your policies. So in those cases, a lot of times rolling out a severance agreement is not going to be the best bet because you're sort of adding fuel to the fire. Hey, you know, it's a volatile situation. I'm kind of scared of you. And, you know, why don't we offer you some some money? They're going to go get the lawyer. The lawyer is going to say, how about six months of severance and we still might sue you? I mean, that isn't going to go so well. Here's how I like to handle those situations uh, typically is get your ducks in a row before you terminate them. So you've got your memo to file or termination notice or whatever you call it that has all the reasons you fired them and make sure they're good ones. Really well thought out, really well prepared. Then when you meet with the employee, you can walk them through all that. Um, and in fact, you ought to say we're terminating you for cause under our policies. Or we're terminating you for misconduct or whatever the reasons might be. You'll cover them. You haven't got to get into nauseating detail, but you cover them. I do like the memo to file to have nauseating detail. Mm-hmm. So if they come back and sue you, you've got it all right there in the record. But in reality, when you end it with an employee like that, they're then going to file for unemployment comp every time. And you got to go one of two ways and you got to be committed to it. Either you let them have the unemployment comp or you fight it and you win. And there's not really any, the old kind of fork in the road. There's nothing in between. So if you're going to let them have the unemployment comp, one tip there for employers if they file for unemployment comp and say a bunch of ugly things about you, I think you got to respond and write into that in great detail to prove all those things are wrong. And then your last sentence says, however, even though we terminated Mike Coffee for misconduct related to his employment, we've agreed not to contest his claim for unemployment comp. Mm. Okay. So you're going to get your unemployment comp, but there's nothing that you said ugly about my company that went unanswered in the record. So you're entering your rebuttal in the record. So you're saying, you know, if anybody ever, if this is ever produced in a civil litigation matter or anything else, you've got your your defense already in there. Exactly right. I like to do that. And then if you're going to fight them and you're not willing to to pay anything, you got to fight to win. And if you're going to fight to win, that means before you make the decision, you've got the termination notice or the memo to file that has 
the reasons. You've got your history of prior discipline. You've got your other efforts to make this all work out. We gave you a, a poor six-month review. We gave you a poor annual review. We put you on a performance improvement plan. We gave you a final written warning. None of that helped. You still did this, this, and this. You violated company policies. Name what they are. Um, and maybe if you're in doubt, say you violated numerous company policies, including mm -hmm. dot, 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 so that if there are others you figured out later on, you can still use those. But you you contested, and then you got to be prepared when they file for that unemployment comp. You can't let your, if you're a larger company, your seventh line HR employee fill out the first response to unemployment comp because it doesn't ask very many questions, and you have to kind of go out of your way to say very much. So the top line HR director should be on that project, making sure you're outlining the reasons that you're opposing the unemployment comp and you need to be thorough and prepared. And a lot of employers don't do that. They, they oppose the unemployment comp, but they oppose it really poorly. They say, they file some responses as, my coffee couldn't get the job done. And we, we warned my coffee repeatedly, but he's just not a very good employee. That's not the same thing as misconduct. That's not the same thing as violating company policy. That's not the stuff that gets a jury excited if you sue us about why we terminated your employment. So if you're going to oppose it, you got to win. And that was part of the, the, the theme you referenced at the beginning of your introduction, which is if you're going to oppose it, then be sure that what you do doesn't get you further down the road to, to litigation. And I've got a couple of tips there. Do you put yourself at any risk as an employer if you oppose one employee who was fired for cause, but you don't oppose another one who may be in a different protected class or anything? Are there any, how, how important is it to be consistent in those kind of decisions? It's a good point. It, it is very important to be consistent, although there's never a perfect consistency unless you're a really, really small organization with a very small, I mean, most of your listeners, I'm sure have, you know, anywhere from 50 employees to 5,000, 10,000, mm -hmm. 20,000, everything kind of in between. And so, HR departments are one. Yeah, so oh, yeah, yeah, HR department with, with 100,000 people, it seems like sometimes. <laughs> of, course, of course they do. And so consistency can be very difficult. You've got to think about, are we doing something for this individual that might be used against us later in somebody else's discrimination claim or in their own? I'll give you an example. So uh, the company that terminates the employee, it's a, a woman who was pregnant. And she says, you fired me because I'm a woman, but also you're fired. Primarily, you want to save money on your insurance and on my leave. And so that's why you you fired me. Well, obviously, if we can demonstrate, you know, to the EEOC satisfaction that, hey, we've also terminated other, I mean, you can, you can do all that, but that's not really what's required to get to that granular level. What's really important is that you take this situation on its face um, and be sure you're thinking about all the, the boxes. You know, is this a, is this employee um, in a protected class? Did this employee file a workers' comp claim at some point? Did this employee ever go on disability? Does this employee cost the company a lot more because of insurance? What are all the things that this employee, this employee complained about workplace conditions? If you have all those things, if any of those things exist, then you're kind of vulnerable with respect to, to this employee and you got to give it a lot of thought. I mean, do you really want to oppose unemployment comp for somebody that you let go that's pregnant or who filed a workers' comp claim last year? 
I think from a risk mitigation standpoint, you let them have the unemployment comp. And if they say, well, you know, I want unemployment comp, they fired me because I'm pregnant. Then like we talked about earlier, you oppose that. Now, pregnancy had zero to do with it. Um, but here are the reasons. But also, we're not going to oppose your unemployment comp. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. Premium background checks with fast and friendly service. It is hard to believe it, but we're just a month away from HR Southwest, the Texas Sherm State Conference. This is one of the largest and certainly one of the best HR conferences in the country. This year, I'll be presenting on a hot topic, ethical and practical considerations on the use of AI in human resources. And I'll also be facilitating a more personal roundtable conversation about AI in HR. There's still time to register at hrsouthwest.com. And if you attend, come find me in one of my sessions or at Imperative's booth in the marketplace. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 113 and enter the keyword unemployment. That's U-N-E-M-P-L-O-Y-M-E-N-T. And now back to my conversation with Brad Howard. So beyond those protected class things, what other circumstances can, you know, fighting an unemployment claim or not responding to it correctly lead to actual litigation? Yeah. So here's how, here's how, here's how that, here's how I've seen that go is the, the bigger case is that the employees, the employers who fight the unemployment comp claim, but don't fight it very well, they're the ones that end up being in litigation because, you know, when you're kind of putting your, you know, you're, you're looking like you're, you want to fight, right. With this, this employee, um, a lot of employees are kind of scrappy and they're going to get ready to fight too. They're going to call their brother-in-law who's a lawyer or their sister-in-law that lives next door to a lawyer. They're going to talk to a lawyer. They're going to talk to somebody who knows kind of what's going on here, who's going to be looking at this situation. They might get a lawyer involved. Uh, the lawyer doesn't care about unemployment comp because a third of unemployment comp is not their payday. Right. But what they will care about is to try to establish that you fired this person for a, a wrong reason. So, kind of a few ways that you mitigate that risk. If you're going to oppose the unemployment comp, you better initially give the reasons you terminated them and be, be thoughtful about it. Let's say you lose that and you go to the appeal tribunal, which we've all been there for these hearings, right? It's a it's a courtroom hearing on the phone. Right. <laughs> and every state has them. Every state has them. Um, they're always recorded. You always have to submit documentary evidence. Both sides do. So, where a lot of employers get it wrong is they oppose the unemployment comp and they come into this hearing, this appeal tribunal hearing, and they don't bring the big guns. They don't bring Mike Coffey, who was the HR manager and sat in on the meeting. They bring the supervisor who's mad at that guy and didn't want him to work there any longer. They bring the supervisor and the seventh line HR person. They bring some other manager because manager, the supervisor's on vacation. They bring the wrong person who can't really answer anything other than what the dates of employment were mm -hmm. and, you know, read the write-up into the record. They can't really talk about the employee's problems. They give testimony. You know, you, you raise your hand and you affirm to tell the truth at a workforce hearing, and then you testify. That's all recorded. It can be subpoenaed. So I've seen cases that I worked on as an employment lawyer for a company in court where the 
guy on the other side for the employee knows what he's doing. He subpoenas all those records. We have recordings of our people testifying at unemployment comp hearing saying dumb things. We have uh, a letter that was submitted to oppose unemployment comp that wasn't very thorough. We don't present really any documentary evidence. And then that's going to snowball to, you know, when that employee wins that unemployment comp claim and that lawyer's feeling pretty emboldened, it's very likely they're going to then consider, hey, maybe we need to go to the EEOC or file a lawsuit. And a lot of times the employer emboldened them by not really handling the claim very well. Yeah. So you're basically letting the camel get its nose under the tent and, you know, the plaintiff lawyer is going to go start asking a lot more questions. It's, you know, it's, they uh, will. Yeah. and they, they know that uh, this unemployment claims not worth their time, but you know, they can start, Hey, well, how old are you? And you know, uh, you know, how, yeah. how did they treat, how often did, you know, how often did they mention your race when they were talking to, you know, and, and start, you know, start fishing for yep. that. God bless them. But all yeah, those things. Yeah. Oh, and also there are squandered opportunities because in an unemployment comp hearing, at least a, an appeal tribunal hearing, which every state has those, the employee can has to testify to the unemployment comp hearing officer. So they have to raise their hand and, and testify. You as the employer or your attorney, you're allowed, you have to be careful, but you're allowed to cross-examine him or her for a couple minutes, a few minutes, um, until you make the hearing officer mad. Yeah. You're allowed to, to, to cross-examine them. And if you're well-prepared, you might you know, prepare four or five or six really good questions where the ex former employee has to say, yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. Yes, you did that. No, I never did that. No, I never filed a claim. I never went through the grievance process. No. And you get a bunch of really good admissions on the record, which might win you your unemployment comp case. But if this is all subpoenaed later on, it will also maybe help you in court. Because it, it, they they may even perjure themselves or you know and state something wrong on the record that that you can use to, uh, to you know uh, against them. Yeah, they do. And maybe you know one I've seen one where I was involved where I got the employee to admit she raised her voice to her supervisor. She used the f word. She was very, very unprofessional. And this was in a meeting about a final warning, which suddenly became a termination meeting. I got her to admit that just in this brief cross-examination I got. And we won. We wanted the appeal tribunal because she basically admitted that she engaged in serious misconduct. What else do you see employers do that that creates liability for them? Hmm. I see in a lot of cases that their position about why they terminated the employee shifts. Hmm. So, so they might say, we terminated the employee for too many absences. And then they're getting ready to go to litigation. And then the lawyer says, but did that employee have a protected health condition? Was there a serious health condition? Did they ever mention you they needed to be on leave for you know serious health condition? And suddenly, maybe the absences are looking like a legal problem. Like maybe the employer should have handled that situation better. Maybe they should have asked more questions. Maybe they should have given the employee FMLA. Maybe the employee's going to claim litigation that the employer kind of interfered with their right to get FMLA. So suddenly in litigation, they've got to take a different position, which is, well, you violated company policy, which sounds a lot different than you were gone from work too much. And together, they would have been a great defense if the employer had presented them together in a thoughtful manner. Now it looks like we're kind of making up stuff right. later on. So it's a 
it's a shifting defense. That's a that's a problem. And that's why you got to have contemporaneous documentation. And and you have and to. I've I've just heard too many employers. Well, I, I, you know, we're writing up our response right now, and, and you know, I got to go talk to the manager and, and find out what was going on, and write down you know write down what he's telling me. And so that's going to be something dated three to six weeks after the termination, and it's not. And it looks not made up. Yeah. No, and then it looks made. It looks like after the fact, the employer said, oh, boy, we have a problem. We better figure out what we want to put down on. Pay. And that's even worse. That's I mean, it's not a legal concept, but in a trial, I've heard this. That's paper in the file. That's the mm-hmm. employer papering the file. And it looks like junk. It looks like BS. It looks like they are trying to come up with something to support the decision they made, you know, many, many weeks ago. The the hardest thing that employers and I, I sympathize, I'm I'm an employer. You're an employer. I mean, these things are hard to do, but. When you're going to terminate somebody on a Friday afternoon, you've got to do the work before the meeting takes place so that it's all in like a lot of people will say, well, I'll take care of that on Monday. I'll write up the notes about the meeting and I'll write up the final warning. I'll... They're not going to get around to that on Monday. Monday, there's a new fire, a new crisis, and they don't get around to it. And then when they do it in this digital age, you know, a good plaintiff's lawyer can prove, hey, Mike Coffey, the HR manager, went in 90 days later and changed up some things in this document for the file because we got an EEOC claim and it didn't look very good. So, well, and I hear a lot from employ uh, from employers at conferences or online that the hearing examiners and uh, the appeals folks, everybody, they're gonna they're gonna give it to the employee anyway, and they're they're stacked against us, and it's not a mm-hmm. fair system. What's your take on that? How? Do you think that's usually just sour grapes from an employer who wasn't prepared, who doesn't prepare well? Yes, that's a that's a great question because the answer is yes, absolutely. The you so I'll I'll we've all done too many of these, but you know most of the hearing officers. It's not just true in Texas. This is every hearing I've ever done with one of these folks. They're bureaucrats. They have three hundred employee files at one time. They don't remember what they worked on yesterday because that's out of sight, out of mind. They have twenty more to work on today. They might have ten telephone hearings on Friday. Okay, so all they know they they're going to start the hearing. They're not going to say, you know, good morning, Mr. Coffee, HR director. Nice to meet you because they don't care Mm -hmm. because they got nine more of those to do after they finish with you. So it's all business and perfunctory and and they're reading things off the record and and they don't put a lot of emotion into it. What compels them to find the right result for the employer is employer preparation. They 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 look at the letter the employer sent in. Maybe they don't look at it till the day before the hearing, but they read it and say, whoa, this is hmm, this is short, but power, you know, it's got it packs a punch. I mean, it's pretty powerful. It demonstrates a pretty strong case for misconduct. I wonder what this employee is gonna say about that tomorrow. You can get them interested by the by the good work product, by being well prepared. I'll give you an example. So you've got maybe there are three of us in the company that are gonna attend the unemployment comp hearing, the one that's being recorded. And you have to pick one person to be in charge. So they pick Mike. Hey, Mike, you're going to be in charge. You have two other people there. First question the hearing officer asks, what are the first and final date of employment for the employee? What was her average weekly wage? And we all look at each other like, I don't, I don't know. Do you know? Do you like, let me see what? And you just start off on the, on the wrong foot. You don't look like you're prepared. You look like you're just opposing it to oppose it. If instead you can say, thank you for asking. I've got that right here. It was this date. This is the the number. Okay, who's going to speak for you? Mike Coffey. Who are you? I'm the director of HR. Okay, what were the reasons you terminated the employee? There were three. One, two, three. That 
is a good start for an employer and you can win that unemployment comp claim. A lot of people don't come into the hearing with that kind of preparation. Is there a rule of thumb about how long your response, your, your written response to the claim should be? Can you go too long? I'm, uh, you know, what does that look like? Because you want to give them all the information, but how much is too much and how much it looks like you're dogpiling or, or you just know they're not going to read it at a point, some point. Perfect. So here's what I like. I, th I think if you're going to put a, I like a letter with exhibits. So a cover letter with exhibits and the cover letter headings, bold headings, you know, uh, the em employee's history, um, you know, short paragraph, you know, reasons for um, our history of, of discipline at the company, a couple of paragraphs, reason for termination, a couple of paragraphs, each of those see exhibit one, two, three, four, and they're all attached with a big thing at the bottom says exhibit one, two, I mean, make it really easy for the hearing officer to follow along with what you're saying, to introduce your evidence, to look at it. You don't want a four, five, eight, 10 page letter because they're going to be, they're going to be mad. And they're not going to read it. You don't want to attach their entire personnel file, they're going to be mad. They're not going to read it. You attach the few documents that you think you need to win your case, and you provide a short, punchy, direct, professional, uh, courteous letter. Are there any privacy concerns? I mean, do you, you know, if if I've got a, you know, a document I need to share that's got HIPAA information or something, do I need mm -hmm. to redact that, or is what what what? What should I make sure I leave out of the documentation? Good question. So a lot of cases, what I advise employers to do is do redact that. Like the, the Texas Workforce Commission and most of these commissions, they want you to fax things in. Now they're starting to, to move towards email, but you know, just last year we had to fax 40 pages. I mean, you know, you know, 20 of them aren't going to go in. Well, well, yeah, yeah gonna, it's going to be an hour of somebody's time just trying to get it. To go it through. is. And a lot of times there's, you know, missing page three and nine and 25. So but a lot of times now you can email these these things in. I usually will redact protected health information, anything that's about their health condition. Even with like social security number and stuff, the Texas Workforce Commission is a good example. They have the XXXX with the numbers. So I'm going to do the same thing on my letter. But then what I'm going to do for the hearing is I'm going to have a clean copy, like a complete copy right here with me and somebody who's ready to go fax or email. So if the hearing officer says, I really need to see that record as it is. You know what? We're going to have um, Karen here who's off the screen right in the hall. I'll have her email it to you right now. Um, give me one minute and then give an instruction to somebody. And then it shows up the hearing officer's desk during the hearing. So I'd rather do that than to make them mad by providing things that are protected. Any other considerations that employers ought to really you know, have on their checklist when they're dealing with an unemployment compensation thing, either exiting an employee or, or responding? Yeah, the, the last couple of things are, think about what the game plan is for what we're going to share with the public at large about our decision to terminate somebody um, and make sure they're not inconsistent. In other words, if if we fire somebody on a Friday and we tell everybody on Monday, sorry, we had to let him go. He just can't seem to find his way to work before, you know, 8.30 every day. And, you know, we all started at 8.30 and you suffer because you're all doing his job. So we say that we're kind of giving something pretty specific out there. And then if later on we have to figure out, oh, well, there were other reasons besides that that we fired. We've I always prefer to, to tell employees that employers, all you're going to tell the other employees is that's a personnel decision. We don't discuss personnel decisions. And I'm not at liberty to share that with you. Um, we just we wish them the best. Right. Someplace and then those else. who don't yeah. yeah, those who don't do that, um, it, it, it never ends very well. Cool. 
Well, uh, thanks, Brad. I, it's all the time. We're right up on, on, on our time, but I, I appreciate you giving me the time to talk about this today. And you made I it interesting. It. I thought when, 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 I, when we said, hey, uh, let's talk about unemployment comp, I said, ooh, that'll be dry as Melba toast. But <laughs> it, it normally is, but we want to get it no, right. we so did it good. Fun. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Good to see you, Mike. And say hi to Nicole for me. I'll do it. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.